Hey, this is Steve with Life Earth Living. Today we're going to look at the last part of Acts. Um, in fact, a, a quite a big section of Acts from Acts 20 to Acts 27. Looking specifically at what it takes to, go, to make a good decision and what happens when you don't make good godly decisions. Now, the example that I'm going to give you might take exception with, but if you do, at least listen to the message, listen to the concepts that are being spoken of so that you can begin to apply these these principles that we'll be talking about today and make good godly decisions. And in one fell swoop, we're going to take chapters 20 through 27, all in about 30 or 35 minutes time here. Uh, But that doesn't mean that this week that you shouldn't read carefully Acts 20, Acts 21, 20 is absolutely the most interesting book or one of the most interesting books in the Bible. And uh, it ends with a cliffhanger. It ends with like, well, what happened next? And the answer is what happens next is your life happened next. And you are the rest of the book of Acts. And so uh, just be, be aware of that as we look at this. Now, I'm going to just, here's, here's the interesting. I told you this is going to be interesting today. I'm going to say some things today that I've never seen any Bible scholar, any commentator, any other pastor, preacher, speaker agree with. I'm going to say something today and interpret the Bible in such a way that might rub you the wrong way because it's not the way we've necessarily been taught things. But I'm going to take the Bible at face value and I'm going to apply it accordingly And don't get hung up. If you disagree with me, don't get hung up with how I interpret the way the Apostle Paul did something. Instead, take the lesson that I'm going to share with you today, which is how to make good decisions. Take that, go with the lesson. Don't worry about how I interpret something here. And you'll you'll know what I'm talking about here in just a second. Let's just dive right in, all right? We're in Acts 20, and... Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy who was Saul, who was persecuting the church, now has become an established church leader, a powerful man of God. And in Acts 20, verse 16, I'm not going to read all all seven, well, eight chapters. That would be take too much time. You're going to get to do that this week. But I'm going to read snippets and kind of take you through the story, the rest of the, the book of Acts. So Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia. Look at these words. For he was in a hurry. He was in a hurry. He was in a big rush to get back to Jerusalem. And he wanted to get back to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. Now, if you recall, the day of Pentecost kicked off at the beginning of Acts. That's how the New Testament church, that's when the New Testament church really got started. The day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and the church just exploded in one in one day they had 3,000 people added to their mix can you imagine if all of a sudden we had 3,000 people this place only seats 150 we'd have to open those doors and people would be pouring out can you imagine 3,000 people in one day and from there on the church just exploded and so the day of Pentecost 
was a Jewish festival. It's, it was the kind of the, the, the joy of the harvest. It was that, you know, they were agrarian and, and their, their farming season was, was in full throttle and they were harvesting. And so they, they celebrated the day of Pentecost. Actually, it was a, a week. And so Paul, he was a good Jew. He wanted to get back to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. He was in a hurry. Now, I want to tell you, a lot of times, you and I, we're not rebellious, uh, but we do set goals. And we say, I want to do X, Y, and Z by the time I am however old. Or I want to get this thing done by this year. I want to go to that place within the next three months or whatever. We set goals. We're not rebellious. But we get something stuck in our heads that isn't necessarily what God intended for us to do. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And we, we pursue it. We set goals to do things, but God isn't necessarily in every single goal you set. <laughs> you see, not every single thing that you think is a good thing that needs to get done mañana or today is, is necessarily what God has intended. And I've had, I've set many goals in my life and had God veer me off and say, Oop, good, good idea. Good job, buddy. But you know what? Actually, we're going to do this over here. I can't tell you how many times God has done that to me. And I bet you've experienced the same thing. Are goals bad? No, we need goals. But be flexible because God is in control. He's the one that's sovereign. So look at this quote. Don't be in such a hurry to get to where you're going. Often your destination isn't what you think it is. And I want you just to ponder that just for a second. So not you think and I think we have these destinations set in, in mind and they aren't what God really has intended. We're on the path towards that thing right this second, but God has another destination over, over here. And we need to be prepared in life to be blown by the spirit of God wherever he decides to blow us. Sometimes he blows us straight into hospital bed. Sometimes he blows us right out of a job. <laughs> Sometimes he blows us into powerful and wonderful success and prosperity that we could have never dreamed. The fact of the matter is, stop setting your own destinations and let God push you and take you and carry you. Because the Bible talks about that. Let him carry you to where you need to be. Let him do that. So I want to give you, before we jump into to more of Paul's story here in Acts 20, let me give you some tips for good decision making. And think about these. These are some good tips. And as we go through the story of Paul, you'll see a lot of these kind of surface and pop out at you. First of all, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings. The Holy Spirit of God is always speaking in your ear. Maybe not your physical ear, but he's talking in your heart. Are you listening to him? Now, the other day, my son Kyle called Tina and I, and uh, we were watching a movie, all right? So picture this. Tina's right beside me on the couch. We've got the, the phone kind of propped up. We're both trying to listen. But I'm also somewhat interested in the movie that I was watching, and everybody else was watching it, so I didn't want to put it on pause. And I kept feeling my ear go towards the movie and then towards Kyle and towards the movie. And finally, I said, all right, I've got, I want to talk to my son. This movie, I can watch this later. And so I made my attention towards the movie shut down and made my ear go towards my son who was talking on the other line. 
That's how we are of the Holy Spirit. You have the world shouting in your ear. You have your worries, your cares trying to, to get your attention. You need to shut all that garbage out and start listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He's always trying to help you, steer you, go in the, in, in the right direction. And oftentimes the direction he's taking you is not a direction you would have gone on your own. <laughs> you see, the Holy Spirit of God, he takes you places you will never get to yourself. But we need for good decisions, we've got to listen to the Holy Spirit of God every, every day. He's always talking to us. We just have to listen to him. Here's the other thing. We need to listen to other people's warnings. Other people, oftentimes good friends, even non-Christian friends, people that care for you, they'll warn you and say, hey, you know what? I think you're going in the wrong direction. I don't think you should be making that decision. And let me tell you what, when you, somebody that you know and care about gives you some advice, you need to listen to that advice. It's not always going to be the right advice, but it's worth taking their input. And I've learned, it's still hard, but I've learned to even listen to my critics. Because a lot of times my critics have something good to tell me, even though they're telling it to me in a way that just irritates me, makes me mad. All right? But I still want to learn from what they're telling me. So take people's advice. And especially if you're hearing that, that same message from several folks, you probably need to really, really pay attention. That'll help you with your decisions. Here's another one. You need to consider your physical limitations. <laughs> uh, you can't work 24 hours a day. You can't work seven days a week. All right? You need to pay attention to your physical limitations. All right? We've been pastors, Tina and I have been pastors of this church now for a long time. How long? Nine years? Seven years? Nine years? I don't know. A while. And most of that time, I've worked full time. And so we have a service on Sunday morning. We have a service on Sunday night. We have a service on Wednesday night. And then there's the other types of things that, you know, a typical pastor would need to take care of, such as hospital visits and checking on people and whatnot. So before I was laid off two years ago, I was working and we were going to church three times a week. And so I was laid off and there was a period of time where things were a little bit more tranquil, not a lot of income coming in, but at least it was tranquil. And then I've started working again. And I realized I'm not going to do that again. My physical limitations are not going to allow me to go to church three times a week. And so Tina and I made the conscious decision that, you know what, Sunday nights, we're going to turn that over to my parents because physical limitations are prescribing what I can't and cannot do. We need to pay attention to our physical limitations. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't overcome a, a you know, do a miracle or whatnot, but pay attention to what your body tells you. <laughs> There's only so much you can do in life, and you have to pick and choose what you think God is telling you to do. Here's another one. We need to watch for miracles. Watch for what God is doing each and every day. And this is a current lesson that I'm in right now. I'm realizing, yeah, I need to pray for the things that I want and need and, and want to see in other people's lives. But you know what? God wants to do a miracle today. And it's his choice what miracle he's going to do today. And I've, I've got a log now from the beginning of the year. I've been trying to log every single miracle that I see, both big, small, medium size, whatever it is. And you know what? He's doing a miracle on average, one a day for me. One a day. And not just for me. I see it in other people's lives. I see like Sister Shelley two weeks ago was coming in with oxygen. And you know what? This, today she came in with no oxygen. 
and she's being energized and strengthened. That's right. God does miracles, and he does them every day. If we'll just look and stop demanding and start saying, God, just do something good today. Shock me today. Amen. Now, here's another couple of things we need to hurry up here is uh, don't ignore what God is blessing in your life. Don't ignore what God is blessing in your life. Now, right now, it's, it's odd. It's strange. It's interesting. This, uh, the, the, the work that I'm doing is consulting. And you know what I'm finding? God is blessing it. He's blessing it. And so if God is blessing something, go with that flow. Let the blessing of God carry you. Follow the blessing of God. And, and you know what? The, when the, the blessing of God shrivels up and dies and starts saying, all right, God, where's the next place? <laughs> what do you want to do next? Just like Elijah. You know, he had blessing. The ravens were bringing him lunch, uh, breakfast and dinner every, every day. And he had water there, but that, that it dried up. And God said, here's the next place I'm sending you. Follow the blessing of God. Follow the blessing of God. It'll lead you into good decisions. Acknowledge when doors are closed. I, I need to rush along here. Here's the last couple of thoughts. And really try to understand your motives. Why are you pursuing the destination that you're pursuing? Why are you doing that? Check your motives. Look inside of you. And if you have pure motives, you're going to make wise decisions in most general cases. All right? So let's continue on. Going back to Paul. There's some reasons why he was probably wanting to go to Jerusalem and get there quickly by the time of Pentecost. Here's some of some possibilities. First of all, this this Jewish festival attracted Jews from every part of the known world. And he was finding that the Christian church was breaking apart between Jews and non-Jews, in other words, Gentiles. And it's possible he thought, if I can just get there, there will be some, some Gentile-like Jews, and, and I could talk to them, and I, mostly just Jewish Jews, and I can convince them that what I'm doing is not against the Jewish law. It's a possibility. That's why he wanted to get to Jerusalem. He had a, a, a good, broad, wide audience. Another reason why he might have wanted to get to Jerusalem was just the memories of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. It could have been that. Another reason was just so many Christians were going to be there that he, again, could, could have that godly leadership influence. Who knows? The fact of the matter was he was in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. Let's read on. And I'm going to be jumping around here a lot, skipping a lot of different verses, but I'm still in Acts 20, now verse 22. Um, and, and Paul is talking to, I believe it's a group um, from Ephesus. And he says, now I'm compelled by the spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus Christ has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Now, Paul asserts here, he says, the Spirit of God is compelling me. The Spirit of God is compelling me. Now, I might get some rocks thrown at me, some stones thrown at me, but I want to question whether or not he was actually compelled by the Spirit of God or if he himself had made the decision that that's what he wanted to do. We'll never know. But I want to play the devil's advocate and submit to you that possibly 
the Apostle Paul was chasing down something that may not have been quite what God had planned for him. Hear me out. Don't shut me off. Just listen to what I have to tell you. In Acts, um, Acts 22, excuse me, 21, verse 3, we go through this whole trip that he had taken. He landed. He's on his way from, from modern-day Turkey down to Jerusalem via boat a lot of the way. And uh, their entire, uh, their ship was unloading the cargo. They sought some disciples there and stayed with them seven days. And then check this out. This is interesting. Through the Holy Spirit, they, the Christians there, urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, if you look at the Bible here, it seems like there's two conflicting things coming from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was saying one thing somebody hadn't heard from God right. Somebody hadn't heard from God right, because here we hear that through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem, and yet Paul felt compelled to go. When it was time to leave there, they left, and we left and continued on our way. Let me tell you what. If somebody that I know and trust comes to me and says, you know what, the Spirit of God is telling me, Steve, you're going in the wrong way, I'm going to pause at least. I'm going to pause. I'm not going to continue on my own way. I'm going to pause. And I think we all should. If somebody tells you that you know and trust, you respect, says God's telling me you need to be careful here, you need to pause and just say, okay, God, what am I doing? Am I going the right direction? Am I not going the right direction? But they continued on their way. And notice, notice that Luke, because it says we, we left, we continued. Notice that Luke himself was with Paul at this point, and they continued on their way. They continued on their voyage um, from Tyre. And then I skipped down to verse 10 in, in chapter 21. After we had been there for a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and his feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, oh, here's a second person. And this guy is a respected prophet, apparently, of the church. It says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Okay? Now, this one's not so much don't do it. It's just saying, hey, you're headed for trouble here. Just, just so you know, Paul, you're headed for trouble here. When we had heard this, and we and the people, and I'm skipping down to verse 12, when we had heard this, and we and the people, there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Luke himself was pleading with Paul, please don't go. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus, which, by the way, was not God's will for Paul's life. He was willing to, he was open to it, but that's not what God had for him. And we know that just from the outcome of Paul's life, that wasn't what God had for him. When we would not be dissuaded, we gave up. <laughs> Sometimes, have you ever noticed that? Somebody that's made up their mind, you're trying to convince them, you say, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> Vaya con Dios. <laughs> all right, just go, all right? And we said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. And when we had arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters there received us warmly. We find just in a matter of days, the very things that have been prophesied about Paul came to be. In verse 27, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple. They stirred up a whole crowd. They seized him. The whole city was aroused. People came running from all directions. They seized Paul. They dragged him into the temple. They shut the gates. They immediately tried to kill him. 
<laughs> Everything that the Apostle Paul had heard was coming into play, and, and he was aware of it. He was expecting it. He was, no, the question was, was the Spirit of God pushing him to go to Jerusalem, or had God had a different plan for him? I'm not here to conclusively tell you, but I'm just here to, to share these thoughts with you. On we go. The news reached the commander of the Roman troops. The whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some of the officers and the soldiers. They ran down to the crowd. They, the rioters saw the commander and the soldiers coming. They stopped beating Paul. The commander came up, arrested him, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then they asked him who he was, what he had done. Some of the crowd shouted one thing, others another. And he was taken to the barracks. And it, there's a whole lot more detail. If you, want to, if you want to read an amazing story, read this story. I mean, it is riveting. He says, after receiving the commander's permission, Paul did stand up in front of the crowd. Somehow he got them to be quiet. And he st- began to speak to them in Aramaic, which was their kind of their native tongue. They listened to him for a while. And once he got to a certain part in his speech, they came unglued and tried to, tried to take him down again. In fact, after that, the next morning in Acts 23, 12, the next morning some Jews formed a conspiracy, bound themselves by oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul, and more, more than 40 men were involved in this plot. I'm not going to go through everything, but let me just share kind of the timeline. In Acts 24, Paul gets taken to Caesarea. He appears before, I believe it was a governor, Felix, and he, he gives his case. He's stuck in somewhat a, a nice prison situation. It wasn't terrible for two years where people are able to take care of his needs. Acts 25 and 26, Paul then presents his case to King Agrippa and eventually appeals to Caesar because he didn't want to be taken back to Jerusalem because he knew he wouldn't get a just trial there. So he appeals to Caesar in Acts 27. He is takes a ship under guard. He has a Roman guard with him with other prisoners. They go, it's like a whole winter season. Uh, They're on the ship. They end end up being shipwrecked in Malta. There he's picking up some some sticks to make a fire. Uh, A snake latches onto his wrist. He shakes the the snake off into the fire. Uh, God uses him powerfully in Malta. Folks get healed. There's somewhat of a revival there on, on Malta. And he finally ends up in Rome where God wanted him to be. <laughs> God wanted it. There's this part. I have no doubt in my mind. God wanted Paul in Rome. I don't think God wanted him in Jerusalem, but that's just my opinion. We can all kind of. And the cool thing is, and I'm going to get to this is even if you make a wrong turn, God can still get you back on the right track again. But before we get to that point, I want to share this. And it's the word complicated. That whole zigzag all over down to Jerusalem up and shipwrecks and this and that and, and two years in prison and waiting for a hearing and blah, blah, blah. It's so complicated. And I've learned... I've learned that good, godly decisions lead to simplicity in your life. Simplicity. There's nothing like just a simple life where you're taking one step at a time with what God wants you to do. God wants you to have a relatively uncomplicated life. The Bible talks about um, that he straightens. God straightens our way. He makes our paths 
straight, not a noodle spaghetti mix mash of here's and back and forth. God wants to make your path straight and simple and uncomplicated. I didn't say trouble free. You're still going to have problems in life. Believe you me. But half the problems we have are self-inflicted. Hear me out. Most of the problems we have in life are because we brought it on ourselves and we didn't have to do it. But God is so good. (laughs) He is so good. We make these decisions. You can make a life-altering decision. You could You could have an unwanted pregnancy when you were a teenager, and now you have the complication of a child and uh, the the person that you're not married to. And and you know what? God can still help you and take you, even if you made a bad decision. Let me tell you what. You could have, you could regret, you could be married several times and look at back that first person you were married to and say, I wish I would have never gotten that divorce. God can still take care of your life. You can make a bad financial decision and end up with no money. God is still watching over you. He can still bring you back from Jerusalem to Rome. <laughs> he can still take you back. Look at, who was it? Um, oh my goodness, Jonah, Jonah. Look at Jonah. He was headed in the wrong direction and look, God brought him all the way back to where he was supposed to be. I'll never forget when I graduated from college, I, uh, before I graduated, I actually got an offer, a job offer from a really cool company, but I didn't accept the offer because I was afraid of the immense number of hours that I was going to have to work at that company. I was going to have to work nights, weekends, long hours, and I made the, I consulted with my parents, my uh, fiance at the time, what do you think I should do? And I decided, you know what, I'm going to turn them down. I'm going to turn them down. So I did. I turned them down. I finished. I graduated. I got a, 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 a job at a different company here in town. I won't name what it was because it was absolutely the most boring job you could ever ask for. It was horrible. I, I was there for four months. And it's funny because the, the building this, this company's in faces the company that I'd turned down. And I had a first row seat in my cubicle with this big old window where every day I looked over at that and kicked myself over and over and over again. Well, through a long set of circumstances, and they weren't easy circumstances, four months later, I got to go back and get that job that I turned down. And yes, I worked long hours and it was hard, but it was the best decision I ever made. You see, God, you get off on the wrong path. You might make a wrong decision. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's going to bring you full circle back to where you need to be. Right back to where you need to be. So don't give up on yourself. God hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on you. And by the way, start today making good decisions. Listening to the Holy Spirit. Listening to the advice of those that love and care for you. Listening, you know, from your experience, not making the same dumb mistake over and over again. Saying, you know what? I'm going to stop doing that. I'm sick of it. I don't have to do that anymore. And with God's help, I'm not going to do that anymore. Amen. So some final tips here. Some final, or one final tip, let me give you, for making good decisions. And that is a, a, a willingness. A willingness. Not being pig-headed, not being stubborn, not being hard-headed and saying, you know what? I'm willing, God, to do whatever you want me to do. 
I'm willing to do. If you want me to be sick a little bit longer, I'm willing to be sick a little bit longer. You know, if I'm having struggles in my marriage, I'm willing to hang on a little bit longer. If there's uncertainty in my life and I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, I'm willing, because you're with me, Jesus, I'm willing to hang in there. I'm willing, God. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. In Exodus 35, verse 21, everyone who is willing, or who was willing, this is speaking of the Israelites back, back in the desert with Moses, and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work. They were building a tabernacle. They were building the, the little Ark of the Covenant. They were doing all of those things. And there's a bunch of willing people. And I want to ask you, ask you right now, are you willing or have you made up your mind? No, it's my way, God, or it's the highway. We're going to do it my way, God. I'm, you know I know best. So just shut up and follow. It's a lot of times what our prayers consist of is demands of God and saying, God, I know. Now answer my prayer right now. And then we'll say in the name of Jesus or something crazy like that. You know, no, this is about us getting in line with God, saying, God, I'm willing to follow you wherever you go. God, you want me to clean up my language and stop using foul language? I'm willing right now. God, I, you know, I have an anger problem. I'm willing with your help, God, I'm willing to stop being such an angry person. You know, God, I'm willing to start being a more patient person. I know you want me to be patient. You're patient. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I want to be like you. I am willing, God, to do whatever you want me to do. You see, God has given you, as we talked about last week, he's given you the upper hand over your, your human nature. You don't have to do these things anymore. You're free. You're free. God has set you free. Now it's time for you to cooperate with God and put forth a little bit of effort. And with his strength, you're going to get over your hump. Just be willing. Just be willing and you'll start making better decisions in life. I love this one in Psalms 51 verse 12. It says, now, now this is David. Okay, this is David after he had an affair and oops, a child and his, he got complicated. You talk about a complicated story. He got really complicated. All right. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Listen to this. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Grant me a willing spirit. You know what you and I need? We both need, we need willing spirits. And you know what? When you're willing, you're going to make really good decisions because God's going to see that willingness in you and he's going to guide you and direct you. And you're not going to make the mistakes you've made in the past. You're not going to end up at the dead ends that you've had in the past. Praise God. You're going to end up at the right place and the right time. Instead of Jerusalem, you're going to end up in Rome, right where God wants you. How many of you like to travel to Rome right now? All right. <laughs> All right. You know, and, and this, is just, this is just a random thought. I was in my journal. And I wrote this down. I don't need so much a never-say-die spirit. I just need a willing spirit. A lot of Christians think, oh, I've got to be disciplined. I've got to get up at 5 o'clock every morning. I need to read my Bible for an hour. I need to pray for an hour. And then I've got to do this. And I'm a never-say-die Christian. I'm gonna, I've got my day planned out. You know what? You don't need that. You don't need that. I've tried that for years and it doesn't work. All right. Trying harder doesn't get you farther. <laughs> and that rhymed. I didn't mean it to come out that way. All right. It doesn't. 
It doesn't. What you, you don't need to never say die spirit. You need a willing spirit because God is going to give you the strength to get up at five and to read your Bible and spend time talking to him and walking with him. Don't go for the never say die. Go for the willing spirit that says, God, here I am. I'm weak. I'm human. I'm tired. <laughs> I can't do it all on my own. Would you help me, Lord, and be willing, and God is going to come in and make the difference for you. And you're going to go farther than you would have ever dreamed of and farther than on your own discipline. With God's strength and his power, you can do anything. The Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, I need a willing spirit, and that's going to help me make really good decisions. Here's the last scripture I'll give you. It's the Lord's Prayer. I love it to death. In Matthew 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now look at this. Your will be done. Your will be done. In here on earth as it is done in heaven. And you see, you start praying that way and you don't even have to know what God's will is. You don't you just say it. God, your will be done in my health. God, your will be done in my marriage. God, your will be done in that thinking boss that I have that's driving me crazy. Your, your will be done in my finances that I'm, you know, I have too much debt or I don't have enough money or what. Your will be done, God. You see, that's simple. That's easy. And it's the most powerful prayer you'll ever pray because the Bible tells us if you pray anything according to God's will that he hears you, and if he hears you, you know that you have the very thing that you're praying for. That's how you get prayers answered is when you say your will be done. Oh, 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 oh,